Hi everybody, welcome to another Park Report podcast interview. This is Roy. Before we get into the podcast, I just want to remind everybody to subscribe to our YouTube channel for special episodes and to follow us on socials and our podcast networks for up-to-date information, news, reviews, podcasts, and more. And also to check out our live stream episodes, which are now happening on our YouTube channel on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern. Powdered Seeking Animals are back with their third studio album titled Only Passing Through. comes out on April 1st. I had a chance to check in with main songwriter and keyboardist John Bighold about the new album and some coming tour dates. I did notice that there is a little distortion on my voice. Apparently the mic setting was a bit off on this one, so apologies for that. But uh, please stick around for it because it's a really cool interview with John. Here you go. How you doing, man? Good. Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you been, man, with, uh, you know, COVID and, and uh, the last couple of years? Uh, you guys were supposed to play some shows last year and got postponed yeah. and, you know, what's, yeah. what's been going on? Well, pretty much um, because I, uh, I, I we're always work from home anyway because my, my side gig or my day job is managing, you know, property management. So I have an apartment they've given me where I have my whole studio and office. So when the pandemic hit, there's no difference. I've worked from home for 30 years, whatever I'm doing. So there wasn't a big change there. <clears throat> and I, uh, yeah, I managed to get through with as far as I know, not contracting COVID, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, it seems to be everyone's coming out of it pretty much now as far as that. And um, for the album last year, because as you remembered, we released the last one, Prehensal Tales, I think it was in May of uh right after everyone got locked down you know yeah, in, 20, in, 2020 yeah yeah 2020 and um so that kind of put a kibosh on playing live because obviously um Rosfest was canceled and we had planned to start trying to book some more gigs but obviously don't have to go over that <laughs> that all went went out so um as far as recording this album uh I work from home anyway and the thing which got in the way is you know because I I'm not sure when, when I first started, I, I made the boast. Oh yeah, we'll put out one a year, you know, <laughs> and we did it with prehensile tales, but this, there's just no way to do it with this one. Yeah. Um, even though I had writ written stuff and was working toward it just with scheduling conflicts. And then when I, uh, when I started to talk to Thomas about a release date, he said, Oh, by the way, there's a six month lead time in getting vinyl done. You know, which everyone, everyone's been running into that problem. So it's like, oh, okay, I guess it's going to be. Last year, the vinyl delays were just, they were getting out of control for every band oh, yeah. on every label. It was a mess. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. So hopefully everything seems to, you know, smoothed out now. I don't hear as many complaints or, or rather read them online, I guess, in the Twitterverse, right. you know. So it's so yeah. it's got to be running a little better. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so hence the April release date. But uh, you, So you ended up writing the, the, the latest record. Um, which we should mention, only passing through. Uh, only passing comes, through comes out April first. Um, but have you had time to also write the fourth and fifth albums? <laughs> well, I'm working on the fourth as usual. I started writing the fourth one, but besides a couple little ideas as a holdover from the last one, right after we stop, after we finish mixing, only passing through. So I'm always right. I just write anyway. I get up in the morning. You can't see it's blur it's blurred out behind me. You can't see it, but that's my studio behind. Mm -hmm. And when I get up in the morning, I get up early. I get up at six or six thirty, and before I even turn on my office stuff, I turn on my my studio stuff because it's always right behind me. If I have an idea, 
I just, that's just part of my workflow is I, I'll turn around and go work for an hour in the studio writing stuff or pick up, I have a bunch of guitars over to this side. So yeah, I'm always writing. I just, I've, I got in that habit of writing every day and which I've been lucky because I've never had writer's block per se, which might've come from working with film and TV uh, in the past because there you can't afford to have a writer's block. You know, they need, right. and they need 10 minutes of music by April 3rd at 2 p.m. for this scene, period. You can't go, you know, I'm just not feeling inspired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, does, that doesn't wash. So I think under pressure, and that's more the, the song craft side of of. Uh, do you still do music. TV stuff? Rarely. I got to the point uh, a couple, oh, about 10, 15 years ago, where I was not getting burned out, but the older I get, it's just, it's dawning going out and trying to reinvent yourself and find work continually. And with more and more people coming online as far as being able just to do it from home, there's more competition and the pay was going down. Mm-hmm. And that's why I took the, the job of doing the property management. That was about 15 years ago. And I just decided at one point, I'm only gonna do scoring if A, I really love the project artistically, because then it's fun to do, or B, it pays so much I can't turn it down. So now, uh, I have a I have a friend who who runs a production company, does low 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 budget sci fi films, um, and every once in a while he'll come to me and said, "Hey, I have this one, and it's uh, it'll be quick and it pays okay, and it, you can probably do it in a weekend." And so those I take because I figure, well, I can be doing this rather than just sitting around watching a, a football game or something, right. <clears throat> or doing both at the same time, actually, <laughs> but. Uh, and he he never asks for any changes, so it's it's very low stress. They just they just take what I give them, and it's so it's no, uh, you know, it doesn't drive me crazy. So yeah, that kind of stuff I do. But ultimately, scoring while I like it, I don't enjoy it from an artistic level nearly as much as writing songs and producing, yeah, rock, pop, whatever. That's just really where my heart and passion is for that kind of stuff. Uh, so I want to dive into the new uh, Pattern Seeking Animals album, but I I want to have you give sort of a refresher, uh, you know, for anybody that's not familiar, you know, um, your your background, uh, you know, kind of a quick recap, because it's pretty vast, but, um, you know, just sort of how, how you got started in, in the prog rock world, I guess, and then leading into the creation of this band. Um. Well, getting started in the prog rock world probably started when I was a teenager because that was pretty much the golden era of prog music. All the first Yes and Genesis and ELP yeah. and Gentle Giant, all that kind of stuff. So I was always really into the music. Besides the other, I, I love a ton of you know pop and other type of stuff, but that was where my focus was early. But I was not, at the time I started playing bass and I wasn't, I was an okay bass player, moved to California and started a band uh, with other like-minded people doing kind of prog type of music. The problem was in the early and mid eighties, prog rock, you know, you'd probably get farther telling people you were a child molester than playing prog at that (laughs) point. You know what I mean? Because it was so, there was just nothing happening. And even though occasionally like, yes, reinvent themselves and come out with a owner of a lonely heart or Genesis would reinvent themselves. The prog scene was pretty, pretty, uh, not not happening at that point. Well, it was it was a bad word, prog, at, for for a long time. Oh, oh yeah, and 
we kept doing it and Dave Maros actually joined the band in the mid eighties because I, we went through so many guitar players. I said, well, I'm just going to start playing guitar and we'll find a bass player. And that's how we find, found Dave. And then I moved into uh, another band I was in, in the late eighties, early nineties called Orphan Moon, which is more of an alternative, like an alt triple a country rock type of thing. Uh, in fact, one of the people I started to form that with was, uh, David Ragsdale from Kansas because he mm. lived out here at the time and we had got because he used to come into a music store Dave and I both worked at and uh uh we started talking a band together and we recorded a few things and one day he called and said hey good news I got the gig with Kansas and that was the last of that <laughs> band. but it eventually you know it eventually we found other people and it was fine but uh as far as the Prague thing and then one day um Alan Morse came to me and just to move back he was a guitar player we worked with a little while like in the early 80s because we shared drummers with the band alan neal were in at the time called okay. casanova al came in and said dude you've got to hear this music neil's been writing and i'm thinking okay and i'm thinking well neil because i knew him from being like a, a a bar guy you know he'd play like you know billy joel and uh, eagle stuff you know uh, one minute thing and he played that uh that first spock's would turn out to be the first spock's album the light and I just flipped out. I just said, oh, my God, <clears throat> this is the best thing ever. And then from there, obviously, the whole prog thing took off. And then when Neil left the band, uh, because I just I was working with them before that, um, you know, doing graphics and photography. And I have a, I had a studio in my apartment, which they come over and do overdubs in and stuff. But when Neil left, I said, hey, uh, if you're going to keep up with the band, I want to start writing with you. And they said, OK, everyone said, fine. And that's how that hall started. And then further on, <laughs> make a long story oh, short. Well, yeah, man, you've been around for a while. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, and then after uh, uh, Noise Floor, which is the last Spox record, uh, I was just, I was, because I keep writing. I was writing a lot of music and everyone else in Spox is writing. And I was not in the band. I didn't have a whole lot of say as far as what went on the album. Well, I had no, pretty much no say. And I thought, God, I have all this extra material. I want to do something with it. And Spock is only putting out an album every like two, three, four years, whatever. So I put together some demos, had Jimmy come in and play them with the original um, intention of just getting something on tape because I was tired of hearing my own drum programming. And I want real players on it. And I got Dave and Ted to uh, both play on it. Uh, Ted Leonard, Dave Maros, uh, Ted doing guitar and lead vocals. And it was like a half an hour of material. And I played it for Thomas at, uh, at Inside Out. And he said, well, would you like to do this as a band rather than a project? And I said, absolutely. I hadn't thought about it at that point. So at that point, uh, he signed us to a deal. And I, I finished writing a few more tunes, which ended and then producing it to be an actual album. And that's ended up being the first uh, Pattern Seeking Animals album. It started out as a studio project and uh, ended up to be what it is now. So actually my follow-up question, which I guess sort of answers itself, but um, when you were writing the first one, I guess you approached it, like you said, it's just demos to try and get a project going. Um, since then, the second and, and now the third album, um, has the has the writing process and, and, and creation of those albums changed? Well, starting with Prehensile Tales, because like I like with the first album, like I said, 
it was done mostly to be a, a bunch of demos and I wasn't right. sure what I was going to do with them. I just wanted them finished because when you finish something, it's out of your mind and you can move on. But starting with prehensile tales and then only passing through, I, I was writing specifically f to make it an album. Uh, prehensile tales, I ended up writing myself, but on, on only passing through, uh, there's uh, at least one song of Ted's I, I wanted to do for both albums. And I think at one point I tried to get him to put her, you know, the song Much Ado on the new album, which mm -hmm. Ted wrote. Um, I always wanted to produce like a Pattern Seeking Animals song. Uh, in the first couple albums, he was singing, well, I think Enchant wants to do that song. And I said, oh, okay. And finally, I, I, I wore him down. <laughs> I wore him oh, down. So really, that song's been around? Yeah, it's a few years old. Um, I think it was, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how long it's been I love around. that one. That's that's one of yeah. my favorites on the new album, for sure. Yeah, that's, I love that song, because I've heard a bunch of Ted's stuff, and that's always one that stuck in my head, thinking, wow, I'd really like to do something. I think that'd be really cool to do. Um yeah, so that's been around for a while. I, I produced it fairly, relatively differently than his demo, the original demo. I think he was going to do it for, uh, I'm not sure what he was going to do it for. But it was on a, 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 a bunch of a file of demo songs, which he had done. And that's when I thought, that's really cool. I want to do it. I think the original demo had Nick DiVirgilio playing on drums, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's Ted played cool. everything else. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Neat. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, writing for the album, I just, you write and produce, writing and producing with an album in mind is different than just putting a bunch of songs together because right. all of a sudden you're thinking up front, you know, it's like you have to think, okay, we got to put material together, which sounds like it's on the same album and complements each other. All the songs complement each other and you don't go over any old ground and you don't make, you know, write things that uh, uh, sound too much like other things you've written. That's well, right. you know, that makes sense now that you mention it like that, because the second album really seemed like a, a big jump from the first one. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, musically, the, the ideas, the, the whole thing, it was just like uh, really good. And I think, you know, I saw it on a lot of best of lists that year and a lot of people really just it, it hit a lot of people pretty, pretty powerfully, I think, that when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I was happy about that because like I said, it's just, it was produced to be an album. And when you're writing it, uh, you write it with those things in mind and you, I would write a couple songs and I would start to write another one. I'm thinking, Oh, that sounds a little too much like the first one I wrote at the same tempo. Let's get away from that. Let's go with a different vibe or a different style or whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's like in producing any album, that's what you know, a producer does. So they have to make, yeah. I mean, there's obviously because of the relationship with Spox and the members and, and the whole thing, and it doesn't sound too far off, obviously being prog rock and everything, but yeah, there's enough of a difference there, especially now, the band's coming into its own where it doesn't sound like Spock's beard, but right. what what is it that changes it? Is it simply the different people playing, or, or has something changed in the, in the way you write? Um, that if it that it wouldn't be on a Spock Spirit album. Well, yeah, I think I think it's a combination of both. Um, obviously, with Spock's, when I was writing for or with them, when I'm writing a keyboard part, I'm writing with Rio in mind and a guitar mm -hmm. part with Al in mind. So it's a it's a very diff it's a very different thing because with Pattern Seeking Animals, I'm handling the keyboards, and I, I view keyboards completely differently. You know, Rio's just a phenomenal player, but I. I just, and I'm not, but I just look at it 
very differently as far as the, the, their place in the song and their role in songs. Mm. It's, it's very different sounds, it's different approaches. And Ted, whose guitar playing I love, is a very different player from Al. Yeah. So right there you have you have differences. So when I'm running back then, I would write with the players in mind. And you think, okay, I'm going to write the type of things which Spock's beard would do. You know, there's certain things I knew. If, For example, if I were to be writing something and break into a bluegrass section, I, you know, with Spock's, well, they're never going to do that. Um, right. With Pattern Seeking Animals, because I listen to s such a wide variety of music, I have a zillion different influences, which I don't think normally get mixed in with a lot of prog stuff. Uh, so when I'm writing for Pattern Seeking Animals, there's no barriers in my head going, oh, I can't write something like that I, I, because they'll never play it. Or I have to write something like this because that's the kind of thing they'd play. So there, it's just, that, that's all out the window. So there's really no barriers on the style. Yeah, I think the other part that stands out, uh, especially with the last two records, the new one including, um, it, it has a very cinematic feel to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of your writing. And maybe that's from, you know, the movie scores and things that, that you do. But, you know, sort of these Western style, you know, oh, themes yeah. and, and horns and all that kind of stuff. Time has a way and, uh, you know, here with you with me and those things. I mean, and why don't we excuse me, why don't we run from the last record, which was yeah. brilliant. Um, you know, where, where do those things come from? Because they, those are my favorite parts of the, of the stuff that you do. Well, it's, I don't know if it's necessarily f from the cinematic angle as much as both when I wrote for film and TV and music just came from my early uh, tastes and influences in music. Uh, like if you go back, I've always been a you know fan of classic music and listening to soundtracks and stuff. So that ends up in my writing for whatever you know. It's rather the chord structures or the transitions or or the, the sound or whatever. I I kind of like that cinematic uh, sound where it puts you in the mood of a, of an image or a vibe or a location or, or whatever. Uh, but if you go back and listen to the like early Genesis stuff, I always found. Like, for example, Tony Banks, who's one of my all-time favorites, I always thought he wrote very cinematic-sounding music. Uh, obviously, you had Peter Gabriel up front, almost like an actor. That era, especially, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, at the time, you listen to Tony Banks, a lot of the the chordal stuff is very classical and very cinematic. And obviously, because he's done classical albums, you know, in the past several years. So, I think a lot of the stuff I really liked was stuff based in classical or maybe cinematic sounds, but I just, I just like that sound in the music. And obviously you have to keep it rocking and you have to keep it moving because I also like a lot of rock and pop stuff. So that, that, um, influence is always in my head, but, um, yeah, this, that's just kind of the way I write, you know, cinematically and, and moving in the uh, different instruments in and out and all that kind of thing. I'm always intrigued by uh, album sequencing, and mm -hmm. I'm curious about uh, this one um, and starting it with uh, Ever Dark Mountain right. and and making that the opening track and then having the long track kind of early because usually people put the longest track as the last song. I'm just I, no particular uh, opinion on the matter. I'm just curious. Yeah. I always I always wonder how uh, how an artist goes about putting that together. Well, a few things go into that. The reason I started out with Everdark Mountain, that was the last one I wrote for the album. 
and I had all this material here and I was listening to him to, to try and think of one that would be a good opening song and none of them really popped into my head as being, oh, that's the, that's the obvious one. There wasn't anything there. So I wrote Everdark Mountain specifically to be a, just a quick, up-tempo, little oddball sounding uh, tune just to open the album. And it's under three minutes. Yeah. And when I when I wrote it, it was like 2.45 or something. And I thought, oh, I got to make it longer now. And then I thought- <laughs> It's a prog record. It can't be- It's a prog record. It, it can't be this short. <laughs> but then I thought, well, I don't even know what I would do to make it longer because it works in its all concise way it is. So that's how that ended up there. And then um, I can't stay anymore. And then, the, uh, which is about seven, six and a half or six minutes long, was the second one because the energy worked and the two flowed into each other. Yeah, and they then, work great. Yeah. Yeah. And then time has a way as the, which is the, you know, the epic, usually the 13 and a half minute song as the third one. And the reason I wanted to put that there, at one point that was going to be the first song on the album. Hmm. Uh, because I've seen it done before. My only thought though, because it, it really kicks and it brings you into it and it moves really well, but the vocals don't start for four and a half, five minutes in that song. And I thought, I don't know if I want to put an album out which someone is hearing the band for the first time and Ted's vocal doesn't show up at least in the first minute. Uh, it seemed a little, uh, I didn't sit with me right. But here's the, here's the other thing which meant into, which goes into the equation. You, I get all these uh, emails from like uh, Apple Music and Spotify, for example, and they show you which songs people are listening to. And I noticed, and this, I'm sure it's with every group, is that uh, like the first song, let's say you've had, you know, the first song has 10,500 people listen to it. The next one will have 7,400. Right. The next one will have 3,200. And it goes down because some people obviously gravitate, but a lot of people are just going to listen to it once. And if you put what you think is the best song, fifth or sixth on an album, are people even going to get to it to hear it? Yeah, makes uh, sense. Yeah. I mean, one way of doing it is making an album so it's, it's real strong all the way through. But I thought, okay, uh, Everdark Mountain out front, that's going to hit you right away and people will kind of know what it's about in the first 40, 50 seconds of that song. You can, I mean, for better, or for worse, and they can decide if they like it or not, but the points there that I can't stay anymore. And then I thought, okay, uh, time has a way, even though there's a minute or four or five minutes of instrumental up front that worked for me. And plus it, as I write them, I kind of form the, the, the order of the album as I'm writing as well. So that, that, those are kind of locked in for a while and the order's locked in and then I would add something, I'd add it. It's not like at the end, what I think a lot of people do is to say, okay, here we have all these songs. What order are we going to put them in? I, I kind of wrote them so one song would flow nicely into the, the next one. So right. uh, nothing too jarring or too similar. Um, yeah. It's kind of an art in itself. And you can you can drive yourself nuts, you know, switching things around going, okay, what if this one's second? So I, I, Yeah, I know. To me, that would be the, the, the like the fun part of being an artist is just that whole kind of puzzle piece of putting, putting oh, yeah. things together. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, I found the whole that one pretty easy to sequence. It was pretty obvious to me which should yeah. go in what order. Uh, there's a new single out. Um, well, the first single was I Can't Stay Here Anymore, which we talked about. Right. And a new single, which was just released as we're doing this, uh, called Rock, Paper, Scissors. Right. Um, a really nice ballad. The video is amazing. Um, yeah. Really cool. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, just drunk- talk about that song a little bit and, and what that one is about. You know, th- I was going to say, yeah, the video, I love that guy's style, Dronicon Films. They've yeah. done a lot of other stuff for Century Media, and I like his style, and it seemed to fit the lyrics. So I'm really happy with the way that that turned out. Um, that song is an older song. It was written many years ago hmm. with uh, Molly. Uh, in fact, she also recorded a lot with Spock's in backing vocals. I've known her forever. Um, and I had tried doing it, you know, years ago with different people, and it wasn't really sitting right with me and I looked at that song about a year ago and I thought I don't know if it's just that you know time you know getting away from it and looking at it objectively or just my my songwriting chops and producing chops got better but I listened to it and I thought the original version I thought oh I know what that song I know uh, this this part shouldn't have been here and I you know these lyrics need to change it was it was very obvious how to approach that song which was nice because that's the song that always stuck in my head as being one that should be uh, out there more. But I think it finally ended up the right uh, the right version of that song. I'm really happy with it. Lyrically, it was originally written about, uh, I think we wrote it as, again, it's kind of nebulous as far as the actual meaning because I tend to write in, in imagery and stuff. And at the time it was kids just getting into trouble uh, uh, with their different games and then those games leaving into more adult problems like war and everything, whatever. Right. And I just, when I rewrote the lyrics, I wanted to make them a little more contemporary and a little more delineated as far as each line sounding like it means something in the grand scheme of things. And I also put a, uh, in my head, the way I think of things a lot of times in terms of lyrics are as, as a novelist or a short story writer rather than writing from personal experience with which a lot of people do but I've never I've never done that so I, I I came up with that the idea of some alternate dystopian universe uh where bad things have happened and kids are you know kids are creating all these bizarre war problems or whatever um and yeah I, I think they're covered pretty well I like the, the the lyrics of just the rock paper scissors and approaching that that concept that's unique I haven't heard that used in a song before at least I don't think I think but, people have used that phrase but the way we used it was not necessarily to mean anything specifically it was just it sang really well and it was a kid's game and the original version you know we had like well Molly could do a really great uh, uh, kid's voice so she could sound make it sound like kids so when we recorded this time, I got a couple female vocalists and I said, I want you to sing these, you know, the rock, paper, scissors and the la la la's and the, uh, those things like you were, I found vocalists who could do convincing kids voices, not to sound actually like children, but that kind of wispy voice thing. Yeah. So that, that was the across. approach. Yeah. Um, we should point out that you guys will be playing some shows finally coming soon. Uh, first up I th- is, uh, well, Rosfest, right? Rosfest, right. And uh, that's in April, and then Cruise to the Edge. Cruise um, to the Edge, right. Which is exciting. I'll be on Cruise to the Edge. I'm one of the, the hosts there with uh, oh, cool. John Kirkman. So we'll finally get to meet up. And You know uh, what? I won't be there. Oh, you're not, oh, you're not coming. I'm not, I'm, not in the li- I'm not in the live band. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And, well, let's well, talk it, about that. I, yeah, let's explain it. The reason is that, uh, first of all, I've never liked playing live. I think the last time I did was 30 years ago. And it just never was my thing. I'm more of a studio, a creature of the studio and production and whatever. So I'm, I'm just not into that. And the older I get, it just sounds like uh, 
just a lot of inconvenient work you know, and travel, you know what yes, I mean? It is. <laughs> and the older you get, obviously when you're 20, yeah, you can do 200 days a year and sleep on the floor of your van. It doesn't matter, but there's a lot going on. And the other reason is that I'm not good enough to play my own music. I'm not, I, I'm a, I'm a I kind doubt of, that, but no, know. no, no, no. I'm a scratch keyboard player and a scratch guitar player. Huh. I have, I have trouble playing two hands independently at the same time on keyboards. I play enough to write. I know I play enough to write, and because I, I know what I want to hear, then put it in the in the computer and with uh, you know sequencing and whatever, make it sound exactly how I want to sound it. That's cool. I want it to sound. And same thing with guitar. I can play basic chords and stuff like that, but I'm not. I play enough to write with. So the problem is with me playing in the band. Even if I were to do it, it would have just to get it to the point where I was set up. I have no live rig. I have no. I haven't played live in 30 years and to learn the material that I probably wouldn't be able to play competently anyway, I would just drive myself crazy. And, you know, and the other thing is that, you know, we've had these gigs for a few months, you know, lined up, I'd be working these, you know, these last three or four months, just getting my chops up and being able to do it. And then I wouldn't be able to write more music. <laughs> so we decided early on that we're going to have, uh, obviously Dave, Ted and Jimmy, and then we have two other multi-instrumentalists, uh, a keyboard player named Dennis Atlas, uh, who, who lives, lives around here. He's a great, young, fantastic keyboard player with fantastic jobs. He also plays guitar and sings. And then a guy named Walter Eno, who's been around for a while, who's going to play more guitar and some keyboard parts, and he sings as well. And between those two guys and the other three, it's a, it's a pretty powerful sounding, be a powerful sounding group. Very cool. Uh, yeah. That's cool. I'm not sure that yeah. was news. So now we know. Yeah, I've told, I've told people in the, uh, that was the yeah. deal for the last Roz Fest mm. too. Um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, the, the problem with the cruise, I, just to go hang out there would be tremendously expensive if I'm not playing because it wouldn't pay for my ticket. And I'm not uh, taking that much time and, you know, getting away would be tough for me anyway. Right. So I may be going, I might go hang at Rosfest. That's, that's a whole other thing now. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, either way, um, you know, the new album, uh, Only Passing Through, again, comes out April 1st. I Listen, I love the sound. Look, I'm a huge Spock's Beard fan, and I love all yeah. the stuff you did with them, uh, you no, know, going back many, many albums. And, yeah. uh, and I love the fact that, that this band exists and continues in that in that vein of, of music and and uh, i think all all the albums have been fantastic so i look forward to people getting to hear this one and you guys making mm -hmm. more music and seeing what else comes down the line oh yeah yeah we'll see if it uh if i can keep keep the music writing up i'm trying to get ted to write more stuff uh which i think i'll be able to but ted ted's one of those guys where he says i only write when you know because i write from personal experience he's, he says he's only writing after some big divorce or someone dies or something <laughs> yeah when he's happy there's no there's no um uh nothing in his head saying you got to write about that there's no inspiration for him which i think is funny yeah but, i guess uh, there's some people like that but i know a lot of writers like that they only write from personal experience and i i just always think well one reason i don't is because my life is just so boring i don't know why <laughs> i don't know what i write about it from although i think the one spock's beard song i did write something from personal experience which is um surfing down the avalanche which is on octane mm -hmm. but uh aside from that no it's all it's all just uh 
you know, like I said before, like writing as a, like a, like a short story or something. Yeah. No, that's great stuff, man. Congrats on everything. And uh, well, good to finally talk to you, man. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you soon. Thank you much. Bye. Bye. Thanks to John for the interview. Don't forget the new Pattern Seeking Animals album, Only Passing Through, is out on April 1st. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, our podcast networks, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you soon.